0: You're listening to the East Side Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And turn to uh, the book of Psalms. I better get the book right or else we're going to be confused from the get-go here. I am. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Corey Estep. I used to be the youth pastor here, and assistant pastor here. And uh, if you want to know uh, a little bit more about me, if you find anything here around here that's broken, it's probably me. I did that. I probably broke it. Uh, but uh, it's a blessing for my wife and I to be able to be back here. Some people are questioning my sanity because we came to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, in the dead of winter from Florida to for a vacation. Uh, but we're here, and we, we actually have been craving a winter. We have been missing out on a winter. We have one um, season in Florida, and that's just an eternal summer. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air to come here and see a little dash before the temperature. I don't really remember what that felt like, except for uh, it hurts. <laughs> so, But it's good to be back here. Uh, we got to spend some time with Pastor Spencer and Miss Yvette before they went out of town. We're going to get to spend some more time with them when they get back Um, on Tuesday, Uh, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to stand up here and preach. I was telling some other people, it's just like we never left. I mean, coming back here and being able to see uh, friends, and uh, we just say family, because you're family to us, and there are many new faces around here. That's just a sign of a thriving church, a growing church. We're thankful to be back here with you folks, though. Psalm 90 tonight, we won't yet read the passage of Scripture. It'll be a couple minutes before we get there. Um... But uh, I did want to just give a little bit of an introduction to the, the text this, mo- or this evening. I'm thankful for Brother Chad stepping up and preaching this morning. Uh, it was a blessing to be able to hear him. Thankful for Brother Jared stepping up and doing the music. He's not in here, I just saw him walk by out there. Uh, but to be able to see people stand in the gap, fill in the gap here, it's just a blessing to, to come back and see that. Psalm uh, 90 here uh, talks about something that we think of fairly often, and actually we probably think of it quite a bit tonight. Uh, if you have a team in the Super Bowl, you're probably going to be thinking about this thing called time. How much time is Brother Corey going to be spending talking tonight? How much time is he going to be sp- spent preaching? We're always aware of time. It's always in the forefront of our mind. It's always there. The most common question we ask ...as it relates to time is what? What, is, what time is it? What time is it? We're time conscious people, especially here in America. You can lose yourself in time. Uh, you can lose yourself in a hobby. You can lose yourself in a, a novel or a movie or maybe later tonight you'll lose yourself in the time of a, a football game. We can, lay, we can say something like, I lost track of time, especially if it's something enjoyable. Time also can slow down for us in something that's less enjoyable, like the Patriots winning. Uh, Time would definitely slow down. That's something not enjoyable. Um, The main question, though, that we often ask as it relates to time is, what time is it? But I want to challenge that tonight, and I want by the time we're we're finished with the text and reading through it tonight, to be able to ask no longer the question, what time is it, but to be able to turn that around and ask the question, What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my time? Um, I'll be honest with you, the first part of this message is going to seem a little bit depressing. Anytime you talk about life and you talk about death and you talk about time, it can be a little bit depressing. I was introduced to this website whenever I was a teenager called deathclock.com. It's a place where you can go and you can type in some credentials about yourself and it gives you a time of your death. Now, it's a novelty website. It's completely fake, I hope, because it said that I'm going to die at like 40 years old. So I'm hoping that that's not the case. But uh, we see stuff like that all the time. There are so many things out there like horoscopes and we don't even need to talk about stuff like that. Man has no idea what their time is. Man knows not his time. All we know is that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. That's what the scripture says. The Bible does have much to say, though, about our life and about time. I'm thinking of Job over in Job chapter 7, verse 6, it says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and and are spent without hope. That's not something you probably see on a Hallmark card, is it? Job 9:25 says, Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away, they see no good. Again, probably not something you're going to give to grandma on a, on a magnet or something like that, or give on a bookmark. It's just not a, it's not a very uplifting passage of Scripture. When you see Scriptures, uh, the way it presents time, especially in like Ecclesiastes, and even in Psalms, as we're going to read here, it's kind of like, that's depressing. How temporary we are. Life is a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. That's, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? But these verses, they serve as a reminder that there is an end. And it's good, to, it's good to know that there's an end. It's good to be reminded of that and to live our life in such a way that there is an end. As one man put it uh, so adequately, we should live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind, the end being the end of our lives. How many people get to the end of their lives and they look back and they say, if only I would have planned a little better, if only I would have done this a little bit differently. Now Moses, the author of the psalm we're going to read, sometimes when we read through psalm we think that the psalms are just written by just the psalmist David, but actually this psalm that we're going to read is written by Moses. That's one of the rare instances in which that's the case. But Moses knew what it was like to view time. He knew what time was all about. You go all the way back to his time in Egypt when he was put in the bulrushes and Pharaoh's daughter pulled him up out of the water and named him Moses. And he grew up in the Egyptian culture, he grew up in majesty, and he grew up in a, a very high-class family. But then, uh, over time, he developed a, uh, a hatred, really, for the, for the Egyptians and how they treated his people, the Israelites. And he wound up murdering a couple of them and had to run. Went to the backside of the desert, and he was there for 40 years wasn't the only time he'd be in the desert for 40 years there's another time later on in his life where he would be in the desert for 40 years but he lived this humdrum life of being a shepherd he was when he was awake he was shepherding and when he was when it was nighttime it was time to sleep and that was pretty much his life for 40 straight years now we have our our in and week out we wake up we clock in we go to work we go to work we clock in We come home, we go to bed, we wake up, we do it over again, and over and over and over. And on Wednesdays we go to church, on Sundays we go to church, and really that can kind of be our life, can't it? But Moses knew how to view time. He knew what it was like for time to just kind of creep by. But he authored here Psalm 90, and now context is everything. The context in which we view life is key. And the context in which Moses viewed life is actually the key to viewing life correctly for us. Think about the pattern of life and now I said that we we live in an American culture obviously and so are we are culturalized a little bit we're born we go to preschool then we after preschool we go to kindergarten and on up through 1st 2nd 3rd 4th 5th grade from there we go on up through middle school and then through high school and you go through ninth and 10th and 11th grade and then 11th grade again and then 11th grade again if you're like me and then you graduate after 12th grade you graduate and you either go to college or you go to you go straight into the work uh workforce and then after you graduate college you go into the workforce anyway and you catch up with these other people that are already working and then through life you get promotions and you get raises and maybe you have a career change here or there and then you retire and then you move to florida and you play golf and you get sick and you die that's how, that's how it works, right? Now, that's the pattern. That's the American version. Now, we kind of laugh at that, but that, do you know somebody? That was kind of their pattern? That was at least a, a version of that? That's the American version, but there's a European version. There's an African version. There's an Asian version. But generally speaking, this is the pattern of life. We live. We get educated. We work. We die. Somewhere along that time in life, we ask the question, all of us will. If you haven't asked it yet, you will. We ask the question, what is the point? What's the point of this thing called life? What is the context of these few years? It's a good question. So let's start reading in Psalm 90 here. We're going to take it verse by verse. So I'm going to read a verse and we'll talk through it. And then by the time we're we're done, we'll uh, get to the pinnacle of the text here in verse 12, which is the big idea. But we're going to lead up to it here. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now the word are there is talking about Israel. Moses writing obviously. This is the nation of Israel, uh, a land that was uh, had special promises and a covenant with the Lord. Uh, verse 2 says before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, pretty much to paraphrase what he's saying here is, the bookends of your life are not birth and death. Although we may view life in that way, the bookends of your life are actually that God has existed from everlasting to everlasting, and he has invited you in for a very small section of that. He's invited you to exist, to live this life on earth. Now that's a pretty incredible thing that we have been invited into this thing called everlasting to everlasting. What a small thing we are. What a small blip on the map of time that we we are in our existence and yet how big of a viewpoint do we have of ourselves? It's something to think about, isn't it? Verse 3 says, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men. Now what he's saying here is that No matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how beautiful, how ugly, how famous, how infamous you are, there's a point in your life when God says, okay, enough's enough, your time is up, return to dust. And there's nothing that you can do about it. There's no amount of money, there's no amount of research that can keep you from doing that, there's no fountain of youth that can keep you alive for forever and ever on this earth. Now there's a a living water that exists that can keep us alive for all eternity, and home uh, in a heavenly home with him. But there's a point in this life, in this temporal dwelling place that we call a body, that God says, return to dust, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. He says, hold it up, hold up, you, you go no further than this. And every one of us have a date stamped in the future in which we will present ourselves in that time. Verse 4, are we, are we depressed yet? <laughs> it's a little depressing at, at this point, isn't it? Verse 4 says, For a thousand years in thy sight are, are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. Now some people try to take this verse out of context. What What he's not saying here is that this is some kind of formula that you can work out this code to determine like how long... We have until the rapture happens. There are like people that exist that like try to use this as an equation for that. That's that's not at all what he's saying here. This is a figure of speech that he's using. Pretty much what he's saying is your perspective of time and God's perspective of time are so vastly different. Don't even try to do it. Don't even try to parallel the two. If If even if you look literally about a thousand years, if you go backwards a thousand years, think about this. We're right around the Crusades. That's that's a long time ago, right before the Crusades, actually. God says, that's like a day to me. See, time, as pertaining to God, it's different than our perspective of time. Then he says, like, a watch in the night, as a watch in the night. A watch in the night would be like three or four hours. So three or four hours. That's that's like a thousand years to him. Just like three or four hours. So think about this. This will blow your mind if you think about it too long. How long is your life from God's perspective? How long is your life from God's perspective? It's not very long, is it? Barely even shows up on the map. Verse 5 says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood, they are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. Verse 6 says, in the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. And now we're like, okay, wow, finally something positive. Some growth, some life. And then the second part of verse 6 says, in the evening it is cut down and withereth. <laughs> there's the there's the depressing part again. And we can kind of, like I said, we can kind of go through life we hit this brick wall of just saying, like, what's the point? Man, this is kind of, this temporary nature of life, it's kind of depressing here. But Moses' point is not your life doesn't matter, it's this, since you are dust, since you are brief, it is futile for you to try to create something of significance within the time that you've been allotted by yourself, by yourself. If you bookend your life with birth and death, then you really don't have a whole lot of time to be able to do much of significance, do you? to do anything that would be significant within your ability. So your only hope for significance, your only hope for purpose, is to interject your time and your years properly within the context of God's everlasting to everlasting. We've got to have a paradigm shift here in order to get to what we're talk, getting to in verse, 11, verse 12. We've got to have a paradigm shift. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about Corey Estep. It's not, about, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about God. you got to forgive me, my voice is cutting out on me a little bit tonight. And if this is difficult for us to grasp, it's difficult for us to accept, and let's be honest, it, it kind of is, it is difficult for us to accept because we like to be in control. We can kind of be in denial about this, but being in denial doesn't really change facts, does it? So maybe it'd help to flip it around a little bit. Have you ever seen or worked for or worked with or been related to someone who tried to make the whole world about themselves? You ever been with that person? Been around that person? Quit elbowing your spouse right now. I know that's probably what you're thinking right now. You ever met somebody like that? It, it's, kind of, it's kind of upsetting to be around people like that, isn't it? They never grow past that age 16 mentality, and listen, we've all gone through it. We've all been in that age 16 mentality where we think the whole world, the whole universe revolves around us. We all go through that phase. Some people get stuck in that phase, and that's what we're talking about here. The, the point that I'm trying to make is it's, it's unnatural. It is unnatural for us to be able to watch somebody try to do that. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way where we try to create significance surrounding ourselves. When someone tries to create significance within their own world, two things always happen. Number one, they always run out of time. They always run out of time before they finish. And number two, history never speaks well of them, ever. You look back through history, you see these tyrants who try to create significance in and of themselves and try to create a world that revolves around themselves you always see history speaking ill of them. Because when someone tries this, there's something inside of each and every one of us that says, that's just not right. And yet, we ourselves are guilty and blinded by the fact that we try to do this ourselves all the time. Isn't this true? Can you relate to this? Have you ever met somebody like this, or am I the only one? Moses says this, it's not about you. It's everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle, and he has invited you in. He's invited you in. Now he goes on. We're going to skip down to verse 10. Moses starts to make some application here. And this is where the rubber starts to hit the road. Here's where a game plan starts to be formed for us. Verse number 10 says, The days of our years are three score and ten. Okay, math lesson. If a score is 20, then how much is three score and ten? 70. Yep. So, the days of our years are three score and and ten. So, 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be four score years or... 80. It's 80 years, just so you know. You can check my math later. The days of our lives are 3 score and 10, 70 years, or if by reason of strength, 4 score years or 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Here's what he's saying. Even if you have a good life, even if you have a long tenured life, you have 70 or 80 years on this, on this planet, and this is thousands of years ago that this was written, by the way. And yet, still to this day, the average median age for an American is 73 years old. To this day. And scripture knows what it's talking about here. Even if you have a long life, even if you have a good life, you can mark it down right now, there will be sorrow. There will be sorrow. And Now, I, it, it's good to, to prepare yourself for this. And when I was younger, I... I would hear people say this all the time, and I would see people go through grief, but I, re- I never really could relate to it because I never had gone through it myself. And then as I got older, I would come in contact with this thing called grief and with sorrow. And I'm telling you, it's not a pleasant thing to go through. But with God, all things are possible. With God, you're capable of going through it. And with the right perspective of time and with the right perspective of God's word, you're able to go through it. You're able to, to get through this thing called sorrow. And then verse 11, we come up on verse 11, and verse 11 is so confusing that I almost wanted to, like, avoid it entirely. But it connects to the main point of this entire thing, which is verse 12. So here's verse 11. Verse 11 says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. In a nutshell, here's what this verse is saying. If we could see God as he is, We would give him the reverence that he is due. If we could truly see God in all of his glory as he truly is, then we would for sure give him the reverence that is due to his name. We would, in other words, we would present our 70 or 80 years to him because he is due it. But we can't know his power fully. We can't fully understand God's glory because if we were fully exposed to God's glory, two things would happen. Number one, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Literally, any time that God has shown himself, the glory, his glory, even in small pieces to mankind, some pretty miraculous things, pretty spectacular things happened. My favorite instance of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane when the people come to, when the guards come to arrest Jesus and they come up to him, and they confront him, and they say, Art thou Jesus of Nazareth? And he answers them. He says, I am. And what happens? They fall backwards. Just a little bit of glory slipped out at that point. Now God meant for that to happen. He chose for that to happen. But it, just glory. Just a little bit of glory. And what happened? They, they fell backwards. Even Moses himself, when he went up on the mountain, the Shekinah glory shone on Moses' face after he, was, after he saw God. And he just saw the back of God. Anytime mankind has ever been presented with the glory of God, it had an effect on them visibly and an effect on them spiritually. Even they, they said they couldn't even recognize Moses. His face shone brightly, the Shekinah glory shone on them. Just little bits of glory God has, has shown to mankind. We, we wouldn't be able to handle it. And also, if we could, if we could take on the full glory of God and someday in heaven we will be able, we will be able to experience that. But here on earth, if we were able to fully take on the full brunt of the glory of God, we definitely would live more purposefully, wouldn't we? We'd live more purposefully. So we get to this point right before verse 12. And we, we might ask the question, okay, Moses, this is pretty depressing stuff. <laughs> this is pretty, pretty frustrating what you've, what you've explained to us. We kind of want to stay in denial about this whole, this whole thing called death. What are we supposed to do about this? And Moses answers that question. Verse 12, the first part says, So, with that knowledge in mind, so, teach us to number our days. In other words, teach us to live, God, teach us to live, as if we are temporary and have a fast approaching expiration date. We don't know our time. And I'd venture to say that if I were to ask for a poll in here if we could have some sort of miracle happen and each of us could be given a piece of paper with our death date on it most of us would probably not want to see that now there are probably some weird people in here who would want to see that but I definitely would not want to see that but there's something in scripture called numbering our days and there's a, there's wisdom to it so teach us to number our days I got to thinking about this, and I I wanted to make this as clear as possible, and I, I was thinking about how can I take this from a cliche, numbering our days, to an actual plan of action? In other words, how can I take what Scripture is saying and what we often use on a daily basis of numbering our days, your days are numbered, you know, you hear that all the time, or teach us to number our days, this is a commonly quoted Scripture, how does that look in our lives? And then I got to thinking about it, every one of us already do this anyway, um, Cassie, if I were to ask you how many days until your wedding, do you know that? 104. See, she, she knows. You probably have a list of things that you have to get done between now and then, too, don't you? It's probably a book, isn't it? See, she knows. She not only knows how many days. Now, if I ask Andrew, he's like, I don't know, ask her. <laughs> That's how the guy is. He's just like, I'm just going to show up. That's what I'm there for. there to eat cake too but you know how many days probably how many minutes and seconds you know what you have to get done between now and then if you ever had an exam coming up if you passed the exam you effectively numbered your days because what you you studied you did what was necessary to be able to pass the exam if you've ever had a surgery coming up if you've ever had Uh, a job interview coming up, if you've ever had a presentation to make, you know what it is to effectively number your days. Because to effectively number your days means not only do you know the time frame that exists between now and then, but you know everything that you have to get done between now and then. Because you take it seriously. You know what it is to number your days. Moses says to God, God, we don't know the day of our death. And that's, that's one thing that we don't have going for us, but we know somebody who does. God, we don't know the day of our death, and there's so much that we don't know about you, but God, you can teach us. Those words, teach us, are the key words in this entire thing because we're unable, <clears throat> in and of ourselves, to be able to, to know exactly what we need to do between now and then. The world would say, get a 401k. The, the world would say, uh, save up for that day that's fast approaching. The world would say, um, you know, invest in other people. And the Bible has much to say about those things too, but really have you stopped and asked God, God, teach me. Teach me to know what it is to number my days. Teach us to what it means to live as if my days are numbered. And then the result, the last part of verse 12. Look there. Here it is. So that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. <clears throat> now, don't, just be careful not to overlook this part, because this is key. I will not be able to make wise decisions if I do not make my decisions within the context of my limited number of days. I can look up to God and I can pray, God, I will make better financial decisions I will make better relational decisions, better parenting decisions, better professional decisions, educational decisions, if I make my decisions within the context of knowing that my days are numbered. There's wisdom in that. Instead of always saying, what time is it? Maybe we need to stop and we need to put the brakes on and we need to start asking the question, God, I want to know what to do with my limited time remaining. And if we approach life in that context, it's amazing what can happen in our lives, even on a practical sense. At that point, you start making wise decisions about even your future, and even about your children, and your children's children, and you start to parent differently. You start to make wiser financial decisions. You start to make more wise educational decisions. Young people, now is the best time for you to start thinking with the end in mind. You're worried about maybe that next big decision that you have coming up you got a big you got a lot of big decisions coming up if you're a young person within the next probably five to ten years you're probably going to choose who that spouse is or you're going to allow God to choose for you probably who your spouse is you're going to choose what school you're going to go to what college you're going to go to what vocation you'll be a part of you'll probably make your first big purchases you'll probably buy a house man that's some scary stuff You know, if you make those decisions within the context of I am in charge and the world revolves around me and I'm going to create something of significance, it's amazing how quick things can crumble apart and fall apart because life is temporary. Jesus said it this way, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth nor rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves can't break through and steal. It's important that we Figure out the most important thing, and the most important thing for us is not here on this earth. Although there's much wisdom in preparing and, and saving and, and doing those types of things, but you got to invest in something that's going to last in the next life. Instead of asking what time it is, God, say, God, I, I want to know what I need to do with this limited time remaining. This isn't a woe is me sermon it's, it's not. It, this is something where you have to say, God, I realize that you have given me years, this gift of years, and within the context of everlasting to everlasting. I mean, it goes forever and forever, forever past and forever future, and somewhere in this process of time, God has seen fit for you to be born within this blip on this map, barely even shows up. God has seen fit for you to exist. And bring you into his presence. He's invited you in. You know what we need to do with this small portion of time right here? The best way to spend it is to say, God, I'm giving it back to you. For your glory. For your name. So here should be our prayerful response tonight. You want to know how to pray? How to respond to this? Here's a good prayer to pray. God, my life is too brief to live for. My glory is too small to dedicate my whole life to. I'm just a vapor. So I don't want to waste my 70 to 80 years living for my glory. God, teach me to live as if my days are numbered. This was Moses' take on time. And for every Christian here, it should be our own. And I want to ask this question before we're done. If you're here tonight and you don't know heaven's your home, I'm telling you that there is an everlasting to come. And the most important decision that you will ever make is right here on this planet called Earth, and it has to do with your eternal destination. You will either live in heaven for all eternity with God, and that's based on your decision to accept Christ or not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. That's exclusivity, folks. There's no righteousness that you can do to obtain a home in heaven there's also an eternity apart from Christ too. And because of our sins we deserve death, an eternal death. And that's, that's in hell. And we ourselves have put ourselves there because of our actions, because of our sins. I don't want to see anybody in here tonight make the decision to choose that eternal destination because scripture says that you can know you have eternal life. Would the God that we choose To make decisions in the context of saying, God, I'm going to choose to live with the fact that my days are numbered. God, teach me to number my days. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.